On the Empire Podcast this week, we say fangs, but no fangs. Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter. Yes, that's a fangs, but no fangs joke. We also consider the five-year engagements proposal. We invite Noel Clark in for a gin wag, and we have a blunt in the pod booth. What would health and safety think? Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, fresh off a 7 a.m. flight from Barcelona, so forgive me if I'm even more incoherent and spaced out than normal. And this is the Empire Podcast, a film podcast that has critics falling over themselves to ask, can you turn it up a bit? We can't hear anything. Uh, this week, I'm joined by three challengers of such lethal cunning. No, wait, that's that's the script from Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. What I meant to say was, I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. At least, I think it says cunning. Yeah. Uh, let's start with someone who's such a regular in the podcaster or already cries for a spin-off. It's Empire's very own Evan Almighty, Helen O'Hara. How are I am you? hugely offended by that Why? particular description. There it, are better spin-offs out there, what, surely. Name one. Name one better spin-off than Evan Almighty. Catwoman. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, can you? There is because a better there one. Isn't one. There's got to be. Is there? I'm going to be thinking about that the whole yeah, podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come back to me on that one. Uh, next up is a man whose love of art house cinema runs so deep, he's currently hard at work in the screenplay for a fourth film in the Apu trilogy. Please welcome the writer of Apu in the City of Lost Gold, Mr. Phil DeSemblian. Oh, How are you? Thanks, Chris. I'm very well. It's actually now Apu in the City of Curly's Gold, <laughs> um, but it's still in black and white. Yeah? Yeah. Who's going to play uh, Jack Palance in that one? Casting, I can't really talk about at this point. Okay. It's too early. Okay, keep it under wraps. Mm-hmm. And last but not least is Empire's very own James King, and by that we mean he looks like James King. It's Ollie Richards. Hello, that's a very good joke when people can't see me. No, no, honestly, but they should look you up. Yeah. In fact, one of our followers uh, was, was asking for more Ollie Richards. Really? Yeah, one of our listeners. There's not yeah. a lot more. No, no, yeah, no, I think they've been sectioned. Was yeah, it James since. King? <laughs> it might have been James King, yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you ever touch James King, will the universe explode like in Time Cop? I don't know. I've never tried. Seems a weird thing to do. I don't know. Next time you're on screening together, just accidentally trip and, and bundle into him and see what happens. Maybe. <laughs> what happens if the universe explodes? I'm going to report back. We won't know about it and uh, you'll hear more okay. about it in next week's uh, Empire Podcast. Uh, uh, okay, as always, you lot have been jamming up our Twitter feed with questions this week. Some of them are pertinent. Some of them are batshit crazy. We'll leave it up to you to work out which is which at... Dr. B. Dog, probably not his real name, asks, what's the most inappropriate film to see on a date? Mine is closer. Mm. I wrote a blog about this a little while ago and I was arguing for shame. That's pretty (laughs) much as bad as it gets in terms of date movies. Great movie, but a terrible date film. Yeah, because it invites comparisons, for one thing, immediately right off the bat. I hadn't even thought of that, but yes. (laughs) You don't want to be going up against Michael Fassbender. Well, sometimes literally, uh, I guess. But yeah, you're you're, you're a man, you have a lady, Mm. and then... The, you know, the fast penis comes out and suddenly all oh, bets are off I'm going home check please <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah tiramisu for one <laughs> if, you, if you don't mind uh, Ollie irreversible wouldn't be great I don't think oh. I'm just saying <laughs> oh. you're not wrong you're not wrong we can't oh, not wrong. it's, it's not a wrong. mood killer let's be you're honest I can't help thinking about that scene in Naked Gun when they come Drebin comes skipping out oh, platoon. of the cinema and it's Platoon they've gone to see um, and I think it's Seinfeld they go and see Schindler's List on a date I, I have a friend who at uni took a girl out on a first date to watch Breaking the Waves <laughs> <laughs> that is not a relationship that ran um, I don't know to, why did they get to a second date and was this friend you uh, <laughs> I think that's a yes <laughs> that sounds yeah. like a that's, that's so you it was so you wasn't it it was you wasn't it it, was, it, was, no, it wasn't me it wasn't me I wouldn't I would have I would have it was uh, him it was totally him yeah. I would have given that given that one the swerve 
Yeah, okay. I actually went to see Fight Club uh, on a first date and he didn't like it. And I should have known right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just not a good sign, is it? Absolutely. No, no. Kick him to the curb, Helen. Absolutely. I never really took many ladies to the cinema on dates, mainly because uh, you know, I'm sad and, and loveless or from most of my life. But uh, also because I, I just want to watch a film. I don't want to be thinking about... And you couldn't be sure they'd be there at the end. Get my end away. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but I paid for their time. Oh. I, I paid you. No. You're going to sit here and watch the film. Watch the rest of Blue Valentine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. At Cringe Radio asks, very simply, what's everyone's favourite film score? Ooh. My favourite film score is Once Upon a Time in the West. I think that's amazing. Specifically because Ennio Morricone wrote those motifs for all of the different characters. And, um, you know, harmonica is, is phenomenal. I actually went and learned to play that. Or tried to play that last year. Um, incredibly difficult. And uh, Jason Robarts, Claudio Cardinale, and just it's an epic score. And wasn't it? Didn't he uh, do the same for the Good, Bad, and the Ugly as well, where he actually wrote the score before Blind. the film was, yeah. was shot? Which is incredible. And so they, yeah, they were able to sync the film up, and they were able to, you know, uh, Sergio Leone was able to compose scenes and shots to the music he used to play it on set. Yeah, which is phenomenal. It's an incredible achievement mm. for for Morricone and. Uh, and Sergio Leone, to be honest, the way that worked. I do love it. I'm going to be really, really controversial here and go for a John Williams. Um, yes, I'd narrowed it down to John Williams <laughs> yeah, as well, yeah. and then I got stuck. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, it is tricky because I love John Carpenter's stuff um, and Jerry Goldsmith and all, you know, people like that. But yeah, for me, The Empire Strikes Back. It's just amazing. It's got amazing themes, it's got drama, and it has, for me, the single, my favourite piece of film music ever, which is the uh, the, uh, the closing suite over uh, the last six and a half minutes of the, uh, of the Rebel Fleet slash end titles on the, uh, on the uh, soundtrack. Uh, play it, sync it up. It's absolutely amazing. It comes to this incredible crescendo at the end. Uh, it's phenomenal. Helen? I'm going to go say, ahead and say, say E.T. in that case, because mm-hmm. I just watched it at the weekend. It was on TV, and obviously you can't turn away if E.T.'s on TV. That's just the law. Is um, it? Is it, it the is. law? Yeah, didn't you know that? Mm, they'll get you. Yeah, they will. Yeah, the, the, the enforcement agencies are cruel. I think Jimmy one. Carr has an E.T. avoidance scheme. <laughs> well, he may, but he's got the, you know, the accountant to work it out. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, it, it would be... The, yeah, E.T. E.T.? Amazing. Okay. Uh, Ollie? I don't particularly have one. I'm not yeah. particularly clever on scores. The only things that come to mind are either Jurassic Park or oh, Indiana yeah. Jones. Yeah. Because We're, I love the themes. I, you know, the the more incidental music, I couldn't tell you any of it. <laughs> but I remember the main themes were lovely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's very rare. Bits where there were dinosaurs yeah. and lots of music. I enjoyed those tremendously. <laughs> I don't think any of us are really the, the, the sort of person who will sit down and listen to soundtrack endlessly. It is about the themes and the, the stuff you remember rather yeah. than... Yeah. I'd love to be, but I'm not... I'm not good enough a musical appreciator I, I do it sometimes when I'm trying to work I find that music without words you know helps me concentrate so I'll do that at good that point. and then if you get a really stirring bit of the theme then you suddenly find yourself typing faster and it all goes brilliantly excellent the secret is revealed uh, at Henry John Rich asks any films you would like to see in 3D that weren't in 3D Scott Pilgrim would be one personally I honestly don't have a, a, a single film that I'd like to see in 3D that isn't in there 3D there are films that I've seen in 3D that I'd like to see in 2D yes yes yeah I think, <laughs> I think we're all agreed on that one but I, I'm, I don't really think about it the other way around to be honest 3D, no I, yeah. I can't think of anything film that I think would be improved there are, tr- there are plenty that have been great in 3D but there are none that I would say, oh, I'd like to see this sticking out a bit. Mm. I suppose there are some sci-fi films. But unless, <clears> they're, <throat> unless my... they're made to be 3D, then it's not really no, going to add much, is no. it? No, grasping, really. Shame. 
That wasn't that, in three. That would just be upsetting for everyone. <laughs> Can you imagine? For different reasons. It'd be like the star destroyer yeah. in the opening shot, <laughs> just coming overhead, never ending. <laughs> unfortunate choice of verbs there. Really unfortunate. <laughs> Shame in IMAX. That's Can you imagine? Not good. Well, thanks for your questions this week, everybody. And sorry if yours didn't get featured. It means we either didn't have time for it or it was unbelievably terrible. Uh, but there's still hope. Stand a chance of being featured on next week's podcast. Simply send your question into us via Twitter, where we're at Empire Magazine, of course, and use the hashtag hash Empire Podcast so we can see it more clearly. There's also email, which is podcast at empireonline.com, or you can Facebook us. Uh, we're Empire Magazine on Facebook. Okay, before we crack on with the week's movie news, Noel Clark, the incredibly prolific actor, writer, director, producer, Twitterer, popped into the Empire pod booth this week to talk about his new sci-fi horror film, Stories 24. Helen and Phil spoke to him, and here are some of the highlights. Welcome. Thank you for having me. A pleasure to have you here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for coming in. Um, Slightly strange place to start, but I'm moving house soon, and I was genuinely seriously thinking about putting my stuff into storage. And then I went to see Storage 24 yesterday, and now I don't want to anymore. (laughs) And I wondered if I could maybe leave it at your house. Uh, No, you can't. (laughs) I do have a sort of Wendy house shed thing at the back, and if it can all fit in there and you don't mind it potentially getting wet and getting snails over it, then yeah. Okay. But other than that, I can cope. (laughs) Fair enough. So what was it that, that kind of sparked the idea of, you know, an alien story in a in a storage facility? That's kind um, of cool. Yeah, I mean, well, initially when I came up with the idea, it was simply just uh, from going to storage facilities with, with my wife and having to go there because she, she had stuff stored in there or, or she had to go there for work. I don't really remember. And I just remember, I do remember um, her being in there and me kind of walking around the corridors bored while she did what she <laughs> did and just going, wow, this, this place is really freaky. And so my original idea was uh, a group of people stuck in a place like that with a, and a serial killer being in there because mm. I also heard read a story somewhere about someone living in there, living in there. So that was originally it was going to be a serial killer, and then then it kind of potted around for a little bit, and then I teamed up with another guy who wanted people to kind of find mystical weapons in there, and I didn't like that. So then he went away with his idea, and I took my idea back and just had this thing sitting there. And then one day I woke up and I was like an alien would be cool because I'm a sci-fi <laughs> fan and I was yeah. like an alien would be cool we're in one location so you keep the budget down and that would be better than a serial killer so then I rejigged it rewrote it and, and that's what we have now yeah. it's, it, I, I'm, I'm a big sci-fi nerd as well so you know it's it's kind of good to see that people are doing different things uh, with sci-fi to, yeah. a little bit recently yeah, you know yeah. people are pushing the envelope a little bit and testing yeah, it out yeah I think it's important you know mm-hmm. to try and just expand what we do especially in this country yeah I think it felt to me like kind of since District 9 this is the kind of film that you can make you can make it look big you can make you know you can bring in sort of really seriously convincing special effects yeah. and CGI which yeah. you've got in there as well is that an easy kind of thing to pull off <coughs> um, to throw those things in and are you thinking about that when you're writing the script as well or are you always like to keep it in one location keep it yeah cheap? my main thing was to keep it in one location to, to make sure we kept the budget down but of course and use the dark a lot because mm. obviously you know having it in the dark means mm. You know, you do have the CGI and it is good, but you know, if it was in broad daylight, that's when that's a whole another level of light bouncing off it and this that. And I mean, you still need that in the dark anyway, but you know, it just becomes so much more expensive, um, and you can get away with more in the dark. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I definitely think it's important that we we start doing stuff like this. And of course, District Nine and, and films like that are always done in other countries, and you always kind of you watch them and you go, "That was awesome. Why didn't we do it here?" Yeah. Mm. And so, I want Stories Twenty Four to be our 
our District 9 or at least the start of it because we didn't have a big budget so you know you kind of look at this and go okay well this could be the beginning of something special yeah. you know yeah it's kind of cool as well because I mean obviously you've been involved in, in Doctor Who and the yeah. effects have gotten a lot better in yeah. Doctor Who in, in recent years and, and, and so on but you know there's still there's always been a tradition in, in the UK of having great sci-fi concepts and great sci-fi ideas but maybe yeah. not always making them look so great but yeah. we're now getting to the point where we can you can do both well, you can do you can do it and, and the, the economic way the way we did it is um, we physically had a man in a suit mm. you know we actually had a man in a suit and yeah. then what you do is you have tracking marks on the parts of the, the creature that you want to to do CGI on and then you put that on top afterwards yeah mm. And you know it makes it so much more cheaper than trying to create a full CGI yeah. monster. I mean, yes, you're limited by the movements and what it can do, but you know it it, it works for this. It worked for this film. Mm. Is the dude on stilts? Yeah, he's so on he, some of the time. He's on stilts. Yeah, because am I right in thinking William Dodd Jones, who's also involved in um, John Carter? Yes, and the Tharks, I think, were similar. They were kind of William Dafoe and and. Um, Samantha Morton were on stilts in that as well. Yes, yes. So you're acting opposite somebody on stilts. That's about probably eight and a half foot, yeah. Yeah. Diff- yeah. Difficult to generate raw terror when somebody's uh, teetering around on stilts? No, because he was <laughs> he would wear the suit and have the stilts yeah. on. So you would still have that kind of <laughs> still have that kind of this weird creatures chasing you and you know, it was it's still quite imposing and obviously I've run from creatures in Doctor Who so I think my, <laughs> my running from creature acting was yes. possibly slightly more advanced yeah. than some of the others, darling. <laughs> we were giving them tips on how to run. Properly. Well, this is well, this is what you do, darling. You, yeah, you know, we just uh, it's like just run. <laughs> Term two of drama school. Yeah. Term exactly. three, the tunnel crawl. Yes. Oh yeah, which wow. John McClane get? I mean, this is endless great tunnel crawls in movies. Yeah, Yoda. Yeah. Yo, yeah, Yoda. <laughs> Yoda's awesome, though, isn't he? Like, and and uh, how was yours? It- yeah, I mean, we uh, we uh, they built. I mean, that was a, a built set of uh, about I don't know a lot of yards of of tunnel and really mazy, and there was only one way in and one way out. Like in, in reality, yeah. Know? And a lot of people did not want to go in there um, because they're claustrophobic and whatnot. And and so you know, I'm I'm fine with that stuff. So I, I quite enjoyed it crawling in there. But you really have to get your yeah. technique down it's sort of like an elbow army crawl <laughs> or you kind of do a hands on you do a baby crawl but with on your elbows with your bum in the air which does look kind of strange but <laughs> yeah, yeah you probably move faster that way and then on the other side without giving too much away on the other side is this alien xenomorph sure punching through the tin yeah, pretty yeah, much yeah how are they generating that effect and without missing uh, your head <laughs> <laughs> um the, well I mean you know low budget filmmaking the missing the head was just a case of like let's hope it misses your head <laughs> <laughs> you're in the tunnel they're like right this is the first point where the bang comes and you're like okay and they go can you see the other points and you go yeah I can see him because what it would be would be a slightly weaker segment in the in the build ah. and they go can you see them I'm like yeah I can see them and they go right so it's left left right left right right wow and then they go ready and you go wait, 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 what's the secret <laughs> action and then you just it goes boom and you just crawl so some of the fear in the tunnels was real fear because there's a guy with a sledgehammer just going bang <laughs> that's you know? amazing and I think one of them the director at the end of one take was okay, rushed up through yeah. his headphones right, said are you okay I said yeah why he said watch the take again and I watched it again and one came down and it just missed my head no way oh. yeah I didn't actually feel it, but he he thought it had, it had hit me. So basically, the way to to save money on a film budget is to just dispense with health and safety. <laughs> well, no, not quite. <laughs> we don't want to get in trouble here, but practical effects. You know, it was yeah. all done. It was all done as, as safely as we could do it. Yeah, right. But they don't want to kill <laughs> yeah. kill the star and the writer all in one fell swoop. <laughs> Tricky. 
that would be bad yeah it was awesome. it was fun though it was fun and I mean, there's there's obviously a, a big kind of alien influence in the sense of you know enclosed space kind yeah. of claustrophobia, one terrifying beastie coming for you. Yeah. So uh, was that that was conscious? I'm, I take it from <laughs> yeah. Again, before. again, it was uh, it was conscious because we had to keep the budget down. Yeah. So it was like actually, you know, one location make this location look as spaceshipy as you can, you know, with the corridors and whatnot. But but on, on in all honesty, it was like one location because mm. we had to make sure that the film was a British film budget yeah because the moment you start getting too high it's just not going to get made or it's just impractical you know so but one of the things I really liked about it I mean the fact that it's a storage facility immediately means that the the characters are all in some form of kind of transitory place yes yes and it's kind of dank and it's kind of you know they've got the loo scene which is very tense and pretty disgusting as well and and industrial and all the kind of things that Ridley Scott was pitching for with that first alien that we probably thought we'd see again in Prometheus yeah which I haven't seen yet but okay yeah I've that, heard. That I've heard. My next question. I've heard. No, I've heard, but I haven't. But I've heard it's not like that. But exactly, that's the kind of feel we wanted. And also, we wanted to do, you know, like you made the, the joke at the beginning. We wanted to do for storage facilities, you know, what Jaws did for the beach. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> yeah. you know, people weren't scared of the beach. It was kind of like, oh, I don't like water. I don't like this. But nobody believed a shark could be like swimming in one foot of water. Mm. And all of a sudden, George come, Jaws comes out, and everyone's at the beachfront, like looking for fins, and like <laughs> doesn't want to get in the water. And it's like, with storage facilities, we want to kind of do that thing where, you know, people now, obviously, people are going to store their stuff. They know it's a movie. It's not real and stuff. But you're still going to hear that noise and look over your shoulder, like. What was that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We want to kind of build that unease. So hopefully we we've done that. That's cool. I mean, this is uh, you know obviously we talked a little bit about sci-fi kind of already. I mean, what do you think the the fascination is with with aliens? You know, because it's a it's a topic that keeps coming back. You know, this we're, yeah. we're just fascinated with what's out there and is it going to eat us? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's just you know it's cool. You know, people kind of want to believe. You know, even people that are really cynical. You know, it's a lot of cynics generally like sci-fi weirdly. Mm. Like they don't believe in religion or anything like that, but they love a spaceship, mm. you know. And I kind of think that, you know, people just kind of want to believe there's more out there, you know, regardless of whether you believe it's religious or whether you believe it is extraterrestrial. I think it's kind of arrogant and conceited to believe that in the universe we could possibly be the only life when our star, our sun is simply but a star and not a very big star. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's yeah. millions of stars, and a lot of them have planets around them. You know, they even found that Earth two the other day, or whatever they called it, B one Q X P one, whatever. You know, yeah, they need better names. Yeah, <laughs> I would have just called it Earth two, but they, you know, they called it that, and it's like that was in the what well, the, the Goldilocks zone. Yeah. yeah, you know, so it's in the exact same distance to its sun as we are to ours, and blow, and in the ratio, it's five times the size of us, or whatever, or twenty times the size of us. Yeah, you know, there may well be life there. Yeah. That's something Battleship sort of had, isn't it? The Goldilocks planets and Earth beaming out messages to try and reach extraterrestrials. There you go. I kind of think that's a bad idea. I don't know where you stand <laughs> on that. Is it, are they kind of more predator or more ET? More um, benevolent if they're out there? I would think they probably are more... I, I wouldn't say they're predator. I don't think any of... any. I wouldn't say any of them are like, we want to destroy everything. You know, that's just humans, what we do, you know? Mm. And... Um, but I, I would believe that if they were more advanced than us and they saw that, they might want to try and take over. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Not like like just invade, like they're not invading, but you, it's like seeing a, a a toddler with ice cream. You know, you just go, oh, I'll have that, mate. Yeah. You know, not that I steal ice cream from babies. Or <laughs> well, you've said it. You know. But, but you know, it's what I mean? out. Now. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Because <laughs> it was only come before the Olympics. I think yeah. that's the main thing. I don't know if this is if this is something you want to keep under wraps, but sure. the, the alien is a lady, which is uncommon, I think, in these films. <clears throat> yeah, can yeah. Can you talk th- about that? Yeah, can do. I mean, when uh, I uh, gave the initial idea to the director who I hired, Johannes Roberts, I kind of had like a Spider-Man villain, like Carnage kind of thing, and he went off like, great, and he took it in his own direction. And then when they were making it, they just decided to make it a girl. And uh, they made it a girl, most definitely. It had it was uh, it had full anatomy and everything. Wow! Which I told them had to be not shown on camera, <laughs> because you know the last thing anyone really wants to see is alien vagina. Sorry, <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah, you know, and because we wanted to keep the rating as a fifteen, so I was like, dude, you, like, why have you made this? They said, you know, we're making a real creature, where it's humanoid. So we're, mm. you know, I said, okay, okay, fine, that makes sense, but. <laughs> Why? You know, let's not show it. So we just didn't show it at yeah. all. And it was shaded and dark, so you don't see anything. But it was a, a she. But we have come up with, since then, a reason why... I won't give too much away, but because it because it's a girl, it behaves differently to certain people. Let's just say that. Okay. Ah. Okay. I, I think the, the, the effects guys must have watched too many sort of Captain Kirk, you know, classic Star Trek with... Uh, you know, with him bedding every alien inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they clearly yeah. had that in mind. Well, you wouldn't want to take this one to the sack, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he was an intrepid man. Speaking of which, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm sure you can't tell us anything plot-wise, mm. but you, you did, you know, just film Star Trek 2. Are you yes. finished? Now yeah, completely? I'm finished. Yeah, I'm finished and I'm back here. And How was that experience? Oh, yeah, awesome experience. You know, really enjoyed going out there and, and, and working on a job of that scale. Mm. You know, as you know, just, you know, you know, really in awe of what, you know, what they do over there. And J.J. Abrahams is a real genius guy. Mm. So I just went over there, smiled, <laughs> nodded, did my job when I was asked to do it, hopefully well. And uh, hopefully I make the final cut of the movie. <laughs> what did you have to do for your audition? Can you say? No, I can't say. But it's just, you know, it was just a standard audition. You know, and, you know, I have obviously I have loads of those and some you get and some you don't. And mm. this time I managed to get one. Did you get a chance to talk to JJ as a as a fellow writer director and sort of like pick his brain that way? Yeah, we had conversations. I mean, not so much like uh, about my projects, but mm. you know, he knew I was a writer and director as well. You know, we had you know a couple of chats about that, and he's just like, yeah, just do what you know, just do what you do. You know, mm. there's there's not much advice when you kind of do it. You know, there's not much advice that you you can get. It's a case of making sure you surround yourself with the best people as well. Yeah. You know, because, you know, there's a reason that a film doesn't end and just say, Steven Spielberg. (laughs) It's because there's like hundreds and hundreds of people that work on the projects as well. And that's why the credits are so long. And and, uh, that's important to always realise that a director is only as good, no matter how smart he is, he's only as good as the people he surrounds himself with. How was Noel Clark? He was all right. He was really good fun. Yeah. You a Doctor Who fan? I, um, Yes. Yeah, so were you all like a agog, like Mickey was in the room? No, or I, I might, I might be stage? a little bit agog if I met the Doctor, but Mickey, I'm, Which one? while I liked him as a character, uh, I think mine is David Tennant. I, I like Matt Smith a lot, but at the moment, yeah, DT. DT, okay, got the DTs. Uh, Phil, how was he? Good. I massive respect for Noel Clark. He's um, incredibly hardworking. You may not always, you know, love his movies necessarily, but he just has incredible kind of... you got to admire the kid's moxie. <laughs> no, he gets out there. I mean, mm. he has two films in three weeks now. Stories 24 and Fast Girls. Yep. That's pretty prolific. And he's got the the knot, which he also told us about, and uh, that's coming up. And, and Star, Star Trek, Trek 2. Too. And he's got tickets for the uh, Olympic volleyball. <laughs> really? So, <laughs> okay. 
he's a he's a man with a packed diary. Can he uh, can he can he hook us up? Apparently, he hasn't got beach volleyball though. So, would you really want it? Okay, so that was Noel Clark, and later on, we're going to have the lovely Emily Blunt. But first. The week's news, ticker tape, ticker tape. Uh, there's been a lot of news this week, as there is every week. Uh, let's start off with the revelation that Raging Bull 2 is in production right now. Yes, Raging Bull 2. We had a lot of tweets, angry tweets from people who couldn't believe that this was happening. But it's not quite what you think. Scorsese isn't involved. De Niro's not involved. Paul Schrader's not involved. Thelma Shoemaker's not involved. Joe Pesci's not involved. Kathy Moriarty. Check the motto only in the sense that I think this is based on, on an autobiography he wrote. Uh, no one from the first movie... It's going to show their face in this. It's one of those straight-to-DVD jobbies, like 8mm 2, which should have been called 16mm, I, I think. But what are, what are our thoughts on this? Do you think people are... It's a bit cheeky, isn't it, calling this film Raging Bull 2 when it has no connection whatsoever with the first movie? Well, I guess so, although it is, as I understand, it is still about Jack LaMotta. Late, um, yeah. So it's not... It's not like it's a completely different film that happens to choose a name. But I kind of think it's just going to come and go with no one noticing it. Mm. It's mm. not like this is going to be in cinemas and everyone's going to see it and it's going to ruin the memory of it. Just enjoy the first one and ignore this. It'll yeah, be precisely. 99p in a bargain bin and no one needs to go near that. Yeah, unless, of course, it turns out to be a masterpiece. That is, of course, possible. That's given them, you know, it, you never know. It could happen. <laughs> it could happen. Uh, Helen, what's, uh, what's in your mind this week? Well, I was really interested to read about Paul Verhoeven's next project. He's planning on making a film about Jesus. Yeah, um, again, instantly. This he's been sounds this like for years, hasn't he? He's been right. He wrote a book about it, that's, okay. but it's now moving toward. Well, they don't call it the Bible. That would be a, a different book, Chris. And please, please, don't suggest that to any Christians. Um, okay. But yes, this is a, a different book that he wrote about Jesus as a man, and sort of leaving aside uh, all of the you know divinity stuff. And he now plans on making a film of it, which I am happy to predict will probably be the most controversial film ever made. So that should be interesting. Uh, why so? Because it's Paul Verhoeven making a film about Jesus <laughs> without putting in the God bits. Okay. Um, I, I feel you know that's probably going to be a bit you know iffy. So uh, is it going to be big budget Hollywood type film or is he going to be trying to make it independently in Europe with no name actors? I think we can be pr- pretty sure I mean he's got a, a producer and so on on board I, I can be think we can be pretty sure it's not going to be a huge budget uh, okay. studio production because you know risky mm, lavish amounts of nudity and violence and whatnot. not, I'm, not I'm exactly sure. a date movie is it? Uh, no I think this would be another really bad date movie I'm pretty <laughs> sure but then uh, The Passion of the Christ did really well. That the Passion of the Christ did brilliantly, but then that very much had uh, the entire, you know, sort of Christian population of the US being uh, literally driven in buses to their nearest cinema to see it. Um, I don't see the churches kind of getting out the crowds in the same way for a Paul Verhoeven take <laughs> on their tail, you know. So I, I, I am... I wouldn't say this will be The Passion of the Christ, no. Mm-hmm. But people were really upset about that film as well, weren't they? That was... Yes, but not so much Christians uh, were upset Were they not? It. I thought they were very there upset were some. that it was going to... Oh, no, it was... Uh, it was it more was the portrayal of, of other Jews. religions, Jews okay. specifically, in the film that was uh, controversial. Of course, It I being a Mel Gibson joint. Um, there seems to be a whole lot of Bible-inspired sort of stories around at the moment. You've obviously got Noah, we talked about last week. Yep. Um there's this, there's Mel Gibson's now kind of in abeyance Maccabees thing. Yeah, and we've had both Steven Spielberg and Ridley Scott looking at a Moses story of some sort, you know, getting get re rejigging that after Chuck Heston did it many, many years ago. Yeah. So it does seem that the Old Testament in particular is is bizarrely popular. Is the Bible the new video games? Is that what we're saying? <laughs> Um, well, uh, it'll be interesting to see because, of course, there hasn't ever been a great video games movie. Uh, will there be a great Bible movie? 
uh, it remains. <laughs> not until Roland Emmerich makes Revelation. Oh, now oh. that would actually be kind of interesting. Or Pixar's Daniel and the Lion's Den. Ollie. Oh, okay. Um, my story this week is uh, slightly talking of reboots, although it's not quite a reboot, but it is a restarting for a big uh, franchise with Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jurassic Park 4, which has been discussed for years and years and years and years, has got new writers uh, who are the people who wrote Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Interesting. Who are, and you'll know these names very well, Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver. R- really? Yes. I'm a big fan of Jaffa and Silver. Yes. Yeah. Is yes. it Jaffa or Jaffa? J-A-F-F-A. Pronounce it how you want. Jaffa, really? Like as in the, the orange. Like the like the, the cakey biscuit? Yes, like the cake. Wow. Um, yeah. So, no, no idea what they're doing with it, but I'd quite like to see Jurassic Park 4. Yeah, I would. I absolutely would. So, presumably it's not just going to be a rehash of Rise of the Planet of the Apes where the dinosaurs become intelligent and overthrow humanity. Ideally. <laughs> that, that, that'd be pretty fun. I think a long time ago when they were talking about possible ideas, I don't know whether this was ever really on the table, but uh, there was discussion that there was an idea somewhere that there were going to be uh, dinosaurs that had uh, acquired vast intelligence could now use weapons. This was the uh, the John Sales. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. okay, yes. Uh, where the, the dinosaurs were intelligent and they, they actually trained like a Velociraptor yes. squad. Yeah, I would have watched it, that. I, yeah, it sounded like the the best bonkers unmade script uh, in Hollywood history. But we're probably just going to get a rehash of the first three, aren't we? Where some people go to the island and there's some dinosaurs and people get beaten and run around a bit. Maybe. Yeah. Which is no bad thing because you know I guess two and three get a uh, bum rap, but they're you know, pretty good. Some they're decent right, set pieces. Yeah, yeah I, prefer, I actually prefer three to two. I think I two's, two, yeah. two's got a great ending, and the the rest is a bit. Yeah, two has the bit where the young girl, uh, you know, sort of karate kicks a flash raptor in the face, which is just the, the yeah. deer of the. Yeah, but it also has like Julianne Moore on that pane of glass, and it's no, that that's good. Really that's a great slowly. sequence. That's You're a really like, good <gasps> sequence. While Toby from the West Wing tries yeah. heroically to save them. Oh, and who would have thought he would fail? Oh, don't, spoiler! Oh, he gets ripped in two by two T-Rexes. Oh, God, there's a spoiler. Uh, but yeah, that'd be interesting. So what's, what's the time frame? Oh, no idea. They're just working on scripts. But, you know, 2014 has been mooted by Spielberg before, as it might start filming. So then, but he won't, he, he won't direct. according to all accounts, will not direct, which is not surprising. Right. Um, but yeah, 2014 for maybe starting filming, so I wouldn't expect it before probably 2016. Bloody hell. That'd be interesting, which would be 23 years of the the original. So Good knowledge. Yeah, well, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Phil, what's been on your mind? Um, Well, we talked about Raging Bull, and this is kind of another slightly tangential link to that. Martin Scorsese's new film, Mm -hmm. The Wolf of Wall Street, um, is a kind of a Raging Bull story in a way. It's Mm -hmm. about this kind of crazed 80s broker um, Jordan Belfort who's going to be played by Leonardo DiCaprio obviously um, he's come out of Queens I think he was kind of originally just a blue collar worker and elevated himself through the 80s kind of stock market boom bubble into this crazy if you've seen Boiler Room um, yes. it's basically the same story in fact Boiler Room is kind of inspired by Jordan Belfort's story oh, really? yeah so th- this that gives a flavour of kind of what to expect in terms of the lack of Ethics, gross criminality, etc., uh, etc. Et but he also develops, you know, massive addiction problems. Um, so the story this really this week is that it's ramping up the casting. Um, Scorsese's brought on board John Berenthal from The Walking Dead. Um, oh yeah, who's going to be playing play Shane? Yeah, exactly. Who's going to be playing a, a drug dealer? I imagine there'll be more than one of those in the film. And um, obviously Jean Dujardin from The Artist mm. um, will be playing a CD Swiss banker. So th- this is kind of moving towards kind of shoot principal photography starting I think later this summer rather um, brilliantly we uh, we interviewed Jean de Chardin last week 
and we were asking him about future projects and is he gonna you know go over to Hollywood and take the the American dollar and he was oh well I have some projects maybe 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 three days later (laughs) (laughs) just tell us just tell us he's playing a secretive friends here he's playing a secretive Swiss banker he's obviously (laughs) gone gone method he's gone full method talked to my accountant he didn't sound like talked to Jimmy Carr's accountant yeah he didn't talk to me he was was talking to a a friend of mine uh, and they were talking in French but I don't know the French for maybe but yeah I'm very interested in this because this is his first uh, American film really Mm -hmm. since The Artist and it's good to see he's not just taking the first bad guy role in generic action superhero thriller sci-fi movie. No. Well, Which he, I think is a shame because he's got the eyebrows for it. He, he, he couldn't really do that though after his Funny or Die video. Yeah, exactly. Which if anybody out there hasn't seen it you should totally go and look it up. It is. One Jean of the few, Dujardin's yeah. Funny or Die. So we're excited about this one. I'm really excited about it. It's a crazy story. Um, the, the guy's written a book, a memoir that's barely conceivable. It makes <laughs> it makes um, it makes uh, Tony Montana's Memoirs look like a ladybird book. He, this is a guy that's about that, excess, and it just yeah, it's a story about excess. I don't know how Scorsese is going to spin it. It's going to be obviously an indictment of of you know banking and Wall Street, I guess. And those sort of films are starting to emerge in the wake of the the whole financial collapse. But it's also about a guy that would come over to London, stay in an eight thousand pound a night suite in the Dorchester, run out of Quaaludes, call up his assistant in New York at four in the morning and get more sent out on Concord. Who hasn't done this that? This is a man that fell asleep in a pile of cocaine, which I didn't even think was like <laughs> physically possible. So there's, you know, it's an incredible role for, for Leonardo DiCaprio to have and, and a great supporting cast being assembled around him as well. Rob Ryan has also been linked. He's in talks to play, I think, uh, Leonardo's dad. Rob Bryden. <laughs> Rob Bryden. Rob Bryden, yeah. Yeah, and Steve Coogan as well. Wow, Rob, Rob, no, Rob, Rob Reiner. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Rob Reiner. That makes Which, more sense. It does make more sense. Although Rob Brighton working for Martin Scorsese would be would be pretty I'd like awesome. To see that. Uh, awesome. Uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, coming up after the news, we have the week's reviews. But first, to keep the rhyming going, another interview. Uh, it's like King's Cross in here sometimes with stars coming and going. And it's hard to keep track. And this week, Emily Blunt, the star of the five-year engagement, and next week's Your Sister's Sister, popped in for a very fun and frank chat about, well, everything under the sun, frankly. Uh, she was talking to me, James Dyer, and Helen. Here are the highlights. Uh, we are delighted to be joined in the Empire Pod booth by one of our finest acting talents. She cringed at that. Uh, she's the star of The Adjustment Bureau, The Devil Wears Prada. Uh, let me see what else. Summer Fishing in the Yemen, uh, The Young Victoria, and now The Five Year Engagement. Clearly a fan of long titles. Emily Blunt, how are you? <laughs> I like long, weird titles. Really? really? Yeah. Is that the first thing that strikes you when you read a script? You go, oh, yes. this. If the, if, the pay, if the title page of the script has is a gatefold, <laughs> and you think, oh, what's this title? And you have to read another page just to get the title. Yeah. That's, that's that's it, you're in. Yeah, like I would never have done Jaws, you know, that just wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Jaws is actually my favourite movie. Oh really? Honest, yeah. Monosyllabic as it is. Yes, monosyllabic in its title, it is still stands to be my favourite movie. I love what, it. What's it about Jaws? I know we're here to talk a five-year engagement. Let's talk, let's talk about Jaws first. What, what, what stands out? Well, I remember my dad showing me that film rather inappropriately when I was about 11, you know, and I, I had nightmares. My dad was always bringing home film, films like The Terminator and, you know, for us to watch, which awesome. was kind of wrong. Um, and uh, I th- was so frightened by Jaws and didn't watch it for about 10 years. And then when I was 20, I watched it one day. And I was so, I just was so struck by how amazing those performances were. Because more than mm. anything, it's like the most brilliantly intricate thriller. And it's a beautiful character piece. And I, there's that scene, the Indianapolis going down scene oh, yeah. that Robert Shaw does. Yeah. I must have seen it 35 times. I mean, it's like I'm obsessed with that moment in the movie. It is amazing. But mm-hmm. so you, nothing's ever come your way that's Jaws-like? No, not quite. 
Not quite. Yeah. And I've over overcome my fear of sharks by learning how to dive recently. Oh, really? Yeah, I was a real victim of Spielberg for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even want to go in the ocean in the Mediterranean. You know? Oh, really? Yeah. So you're, you're fan, you hate sharks, giant boulders running towards you, and not a big fan of those either? No, <laughs> not really. Not really. <laughs> exactly. And Spielberg's got a lot to answer for. Absolutely. He but, does. Uh, but the, but the five-year engagement is, I guess, unofficially the third in your Jason Siegel trilogy, in, a, in a strange way. I know. I don't know why we keep you know being matched together I mean I, I blame Jason for a lot of it because he wrote this for he and I in mind so mm-hmm. that's probably why I ended up having to say yes it's a bit hard to say no when someone's rather flatteringly written apart for you, you know? having, having worked with him a number of times do you know is it written into his contract that he must have below the belt nudity in every film he's in is, this, is it compulsory he was actually quite chaste in this film in there, there, was, there, was a, there was a reasonable amount of bare ass. there's buttocks oh yeah there yeah. was buttocks but there was a uh, full frontal scene but uh, his argument is that the screen couldn't contain it <laughs> and I like, <laughs> we've all seen Forgetting Sir Marshall we yeah. know that's, we not know that's, not that's absolutely not true that's absolutely not true so that was why that scene got cut and I think he felt that enough was enough maybe mm. he and didn't want it to become and, and it's it on was. the Muppets DVD it didn't make the <laughs> exactly. yeah. and Kermit's on there as well yeah. funnily enough we had uh, Pepe and Kermit were in this very pod booth not two days ago I can't believe they are still promoting that film <laughs> as if that film hasn't made enough money well that's what you're here for isn't it surely <laughs> the Muppets is out on DVD this week available on Blu-ray <laughs> um, no, they had very nice things to say about you, less so about oh, Jason. Oh, so, good. Yeah. Yeah, Pepe, oh, clearly not a fan. Yeah. Oh, I love hearing that. Pepe's the best. <laughs> Pepe's the best. Uh, you, how, how many days did you work in The Muppets? Just one, actually. Really, just one? It's very easy cameo. Yeah. I wouldn't want to work anymore working with Miss Piggy. She's really tricky. <laughs> I didn't want to work with her Something anymore. Something of a diva. She was really abusive, actually. Because yeah. you're in that scene where uh, all the Muppets come in, piled upon each other, and they, yes. they walk towards you. How, yes. how difficult was it to, to keep a straight face during that? Or were you not there? Don't ruin the I magic. I was there. You no, were no, there. no, I okay. was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. No, I was there for all of all of their stuff. You have to be there for their eyeline. Seriously. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, some actors would Don't say... Don't no, mess no. with the Muppets. Okay, that's good. Yeah. They're um, very, uh, but they were really lovely, and then Miss Piggy was um, rather mean to me. But um, and, she, and I was doing my EPK interview for the movie afterwards, and she kept bombarding it and coming in and shouting things at me. Dreadful woman. <laughs> She's dreadful. Speaking of Muppets, you do do a phenomenal Cookie Monster. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't. <laughs> it was it was okay. It goes without saying the rest of this podcast must now be conducted <laughs> as Cookie Monster. I can do Elmo. You can do Elmo. I feel like my Cookie Monster sounded a bit Transylvanian or something. That's so what, the count well, was in there somewhere. Yeah, right. yeah. Every, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you, do you do impressions? Do you have a, a, a staple? Oh God, I don't actually. I'm not great at impressions. My husband's really good at impressions. He can do anyone, but I'm not. I'm not so good. But um, we, we should talk about your engagement mm. at some point. But, yes. but reading The Muppets, was that your Devil Wears Prada character? Yes, it was, yes. Exactly. That's, so that's where she yes. found herself 10 years or five years down the line. Working for, working Miss, for Miss Piggy in a plus-size yeah. department of Vogue, yeah. <laughs> Is that where you saw her in five years' time when you, when you finished that I film? I feel like that character was so desperate she would have done anything. You know, it's like... <laughs> This was just poor, desperate girl. Oh, that's very sad. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so uh, at that point, when you were doing that film, had Jason mentioned a five-year engagement to you, or the was this, Yeah, was this during Gulliver's Travels, or yeah, when did he first bro- broach it? Because we worked together on Gulliver's, and then we worked together on the Muppets, and he came into the trailer when I was getting ready for the with put on that ludicrous wig for the Muppets, <laughs> and he said, "I have a script for us, and I've written it for you, and if you would want to do it, it would be." amazing yeah. um, 
he said I want to kind of write a sort of modern day when Harry met Sally and mm. and I read it and I loved it and and what was great about all of them is that they're incredibly collaborative those guys you know Jason Siegel and Nick Stoller and, J- and Judd Apatow they're they're very interested in the improv style because yeah. I think it brings a lot of the naturalism you respond to in their movies and so they're really wanting you to bring a lot of yourself to the table so it's probably one of the most personal things that all of us have done because <laughs> you inevitably when you're improving bring yeah. your own writing your own version of the scene to the table did, did you ever think of doing a sort of uh, blue valentine approach and like you know <laughs> shooting it over a period of five years <laughs> no. uh, for the for maximum kind of reality <laughs> no i love jason but not that much <laughs> it's impossible um yeah no <laughs> is, it, is it somewhat daunting though uh, when you're doing improv with someone like Jason Siegel or Chris Pratt or you know uh, oh I'm much funnier than them yeah. no, <laughs> just well, absolutely but these guys have you know a background and that sort of stuff no they they were I mean Chris Pratt especially I will say would go off on these hilarious tangents that would have me just weeping and I knew that some a lot of it was never going to make the movie because it was so <laughs> outrageous and so silly and but Chris has a really agile mind for it, and he's he's uh, he's so good. He's mm. so funny, and Jason's just been doing this forever. You know, he's just so good at playing the everyman with his heart on his sleeve, and he's so effective in those roles. So it was great working with all of them. And how about Alison Breed? Did you work oh, with yeah. her on her accent so it would kind of match? I did help her a bit with it because she. She had this, this. I should, probably shouldn't say it's really mean, but she had this um, American accent coach. Right. And I was like, well, you should probably go with like a British coach just because she's not going to be speaking like <laughs> I do, you know. And this American accent coach had probably looked in, I don't know what it was, but she just had all the wrong ideas. And she was telling Alison to do things like, when I go there. And I was like, no really like you just don't have to do that like no one does it people haven't done that since the 1920s really so I just you don't have to do that and there were all kinds of weird uh, intonations she was giving her and so Alison I think ditched the coach and then just decided that I was going to be her coach and she just followed you around and listened yeah yeah Mm. she just ominously lurked by me wherever I went she did do a very good job she did a really good job yeah and she actually sounded like my sister she did sound similar Mm. proper Roehampton Roehampton Southwest Because exactly. it's one of those accents, though, that Americans seem to have endless difficulty with. I think Gwyneth Paltrow and so Sliding too. Doors is always my touchdown for this. She did it really well. But other than that, just... But do you know who else I thought did it really well was Renee in mm, Bridget, Bridget Jones? Jones because yeah. that accent, that kind of um, sorry Yeah, it's that slightly slony. Is, ...is really hard to do, and she nailed it. And, and, I, and I also love that Renee against all of the criticism of like British women out there who all felt that they were Bridget, Bridget Jones going, oh, why have they cast an American, you know? <laughs> that she really proved everyone wrong mm. and she was so brilliant in it. And then, of course, there's Don Cheadle. And then... The- <laughs> <laughs> you know, so... Moving on! Um, but you've, you've actually, you've, you've, as a British actress working in Hollywood, you've kept your English accent quite consistently through a lot of films, which is yes. quite an achievement. I know, I think they quite like it out there, the English <laughs> accent. <laughs> um... Yeah, and I've done... It's funny, because last year I did two films with an American accent, but I realised I hadn't done an American accent for a fair few years, so it was really... It's almost quite challenging doing it again at these two movies last year. One of those was your sister's sister, right? Because that's that like a I did of weeks British because well. right. that was written for me to be so. doing it British, and it was improv again. So I didn't really want to be improving in an American accent <laughs> because that's always kind of you've got enough to think about as it is. 
But that film was made for $80,000. Wow. And we shot it in 12 days. Wow. Yeah, it was very rapid. And How's that even possible? It, I don't know. Like, I don't know how we got it done. Mm, no sandwiches for lunch. <laughs> Actually, it was really nice. It was this... I think everyone who was there was this very indie Seattle crew, you know, who were there to work with Lynn Shelton, the director, who directed this film, Hump Day. Yeah. And she... Um, you know, Lynn is just such a delight. She's got so much charm that she just manages to... She's like the gentle assassin. She just lures people in to do everything for free and people are so happy to do it, you know. Um, and so everyone was there for free and everyone just did it because it was going to be an experience. And it's actually turned about turned out to be one of my favourite movies mm. I've ever done. Fantastic. And another movie we're looking forward to is uh, Looper. Yes. And that is American accent, Phil, isn't that it? That is, yeah. yes. Midwestern American accent. We play a really tough farm chick. Uh, there's a shot with you then with a the shotgun. It certainly is. And how was that? That's it how, was that's good. It well, I really, I really loved that film. That, I think, is the coolest film I've ever been lucky enough to be a part of. Wow. And I read this interview, I think it was with Empire, actually, that Bruce Willis talked about it and said that it's the best thing he's ever done, the best movie mm. he's ever been a part of. So that is really exciting. I think all of us feel the same. And and we all of us are obsessed with Ryan Johnson, who directed it. He's the best director I've worked with as well. And um, I think he's a real visionary. And I think he has a point of view that is unrivaled right yeah. now. He's just so interesting what he does. And um, and he's a lovely guy, too. Um but yeah, that I'm very excited about Looper. She was amazing fun, I have to say. She was. I have a bit of a girl crush on her now. <laughs> I'm not speaking on this subject. Yeah, Jane, yeah, yeah Ollie wasn't uh, wasn't aware that she was coming in. No, it was was very. Angry. I was available. Yeah, you are. You're always available for, mm. for Emily Blunt. Perhaps you could take her to see Shame. <laughs> She's a married woman. Have some respect. <laughs> the uh, the full interview with uh, with Emily. I think we can call her Emily. We're, yeah, we're, friends, we're friends now. We, yeah. we, we've been chatting. Uh, that's going to be available as a separate podcast, and we can highly recommend it for it be all kinds of fun. Uh, okay, as seems to be the case almost every week, movie studios are releasing their wares into multiplexes across the land, eager to tempt you into parting with your hard-earned cash. But how do you know what's good? And what's bad? And what's so mind-numbingly awful you can't believe it ever got made? Well, that's where we come in with this week's reviews. Uh, let's start with the film that's already been out for two days and to which some of you may have already been exposed. Uh, if that's the case, then do seek medical assistance right away. It is, of course, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, based on the Seth Graham Smith mashup novel, in um, which America's 16th president is revealed to be a vampire-killing badass. Helen is is grimacing at the moment because we're about to give this movie a right old kicking, and uh, you feel kind of sorry for it, don't you? I, I do a bit. I mean, I've been a bit of a fan of Timur Bekmambetov. I quite like his films. Um, I, I really enjoyed, you know, Nightwatch and Daywatch, and actually really enjoyed Wanted, uh, which is a, a I whole really enjoyed story. Wanted. Yeah, I, I did. I think... I can't... Honestly, it's, it's, it's a great Angelina Jolie, James McAvoy fun, yeah. you know, ride. Um lunatic obviously but fun uh, so yeah I was looking forward to this um, and then I saw it um, <laughs> and uh, here's what's good about it that's probably the quickest way to start is uh, this just going to be like some silence now because... <laughs> no honestly I did like Ben Walker he's uh, you know first time lead practically a first time film actor nearly mm-hmm. uh, for this one he does a really good job of playing Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson <laughs> slash <laughs> Abraham Lincoln it does actually make you wonder what Spielberg's Liam Neeson version of Lincoln would have been like if he'd made that a few years ago oh, I'd, I'd, love, I'd um, love to have seen that obviously we're still excited about Daniel Day-Lewis taking very it very excited but uh, Ben Walker just to make your yep. point uh, he looks a lot 
lot like a young Liam Neeson he, in this. He very much does. Mainly because he has a prosthetic nose. Yes. Uh, with a Neeson-esque nose. He also um, has a little bit of the Benedict Cumberbatch about him. I don't know. There's I something there. I keep seeing the posters for this and thinking it's about the nightlife of a young David Morrissey. <laughs> yeah, that I can also see. I think exactly again, like him in the kind of a nose. He does, yeah. Um, but I don't he know. Does. But I, I did think he was he was actually good in the film. You know, he he really uh, gives it all he's got. Um, I think he's quite good in the sort of love scenes with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, oh, who plays awful. Mary Todd. They're no, absolutely awful. But they're badly written. But they're not badly played. I felt so sorry for poor Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah. I mean, oh dear lord, she has some of the most thankless dialogue that you will ever see a female lead given. I mean, she's a female lead because she's a female and her, yeah. I guess yeah. that, that or te- the technical term. She's a female lead, but really the film doesn't pair uh, barely a thought. It's 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 absolutely awful. I I I hated this film a lot more than you did. I think you yeah. you kind of found I, something. I, I disliked it. Well, I thought you know the the story, the script, and the geography and the history of the film were were pretty dreadful. Um, Every scene is just soaked in this dreadful sepia bleached out nonsense yeah, the, the big action scenes are coated in some sort of good. CG sheens you can't really see how bad the CG is well, I mean what's up with that I mean you know we know that Beck Mambatov can do action and it may be ludicrous crazy insane f- laws of physics defying action but it's action and, yeah. and in this film he just doesn't I don't, I don't know what happens it feels like I, I don't know, maybe feels that it was a maybe who, who knows a better film than Cut It Down Floor I don't know. It just seems like a, f- a film flawed from its inception. I think that, um, and I think I've said this before in the podcast, that Seth Graham Smith is a is a one trick pony, and the pony has just left town. I really don't rate this guy at all. Uh, he's had a hell of a summer with Dark Shadows, and now this. Just just think it's it's a it's a one joke film hmm. that doesn't have any fun. Yeah. With the with the, the concept, the title alone, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, you'd expect the film to be quite spry and quite you know wry and ironic. It's completely po-faced, completely serious, and uh, it's just incoherent. It's a babbling mess. It is a babbling mess. I've been thinking of some other <clears throat> presidential mashups that might be more fun. Yes, um, I've come up with Grover Cleveland Dwarf orth- Orthodontist. <laughs> yeah. Martin yep. Van Buren Trance DJ. I would see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Millard Fillmore. This is a work in progress. Oh well, it's it's. Uh, I I did this on Twitter the other day. It's um, Millard Fillmore Minotaur Haberdasher. <laughs> so if, if why does a Minotaur need haberdashing? If you well, why not? But it's a Minotaur. There you go. It doesn't have it. Doesn't do. Well, I mean, like, in fairness, like the, you know the. That the labyrinth would be a lot more interesting with some drapes. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> so. absolutely. Yeah, okay, bring that minotaur some style, and it is minotaur, not minotaur. My my mistake, and I, my apologies to Millard Fillmore, the thirteenth president of the United States. Indeed. he won't be bothered. And he also bothered. any minotaurs who may be. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, minotaurs, minotaurs, minotaurs. Come on, come on, get it right. Uh, but yeah, just to sum up about Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, it is for me so far the worst blockbuster of the year by a country mile, and the worst blockbuster of the year. It is a film of the morons by the morons for the morons please do avoid okay on to happy territory now with a five year engagement which follows the ups and downs of Jason Siegel and Emily Blunt's relationship oh there's Emily Blunt again Aww. oh lovely Emily uh, after Jason pops a question oh we can call him Jason because he was in last week for, he was, uh, for a he was lovely chat. as well oh, they're Aww. all very nice uh, so anyway he pops a question to them and then they take five years to get married as you might be able to tell from the title of the film uh, Helen let's start with you again this one uh, yeah, this is uh, this is quite a lot of fun. I thought. Um, basically, uh, yeah, they they get engaged. Everything's going swimmingly. They're preparing their wedding, and then just 
one thing after another contrives to kind of keep them from actually tying the knot. So it's, you know, her job, it's her sister's uh, marriage, etc., etc. All kind of rolls on. Um, and, uh, and of course, they hit rocky patches kind of as a result because, you know, it's like a relationship is like a shark, I've always thought. Mm. It doesn't keep moving forward, you know, it could die. It has no bone. No, uh, exactly. Lives in the water. So... Um, Could climb onto your boat and bite you in half. Yep. I feel like I feel like this this <laughs> metaphor may have gone wrong. Simile, uh, simile. Anyway, Minotaur. <laughs> Minotaur. Sorry. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a, a really quite fun film. I I laughed quite a bit. I find the two of them incredibly charming, and they work well together. Uh, being charming I think it could easily have lost about 20 minutes in the middle like every Judd Apatow produced comedy pretty yeah. much um, it could lose 20 minutes in the middle and be a stronger film for it but at the same time you know the ending I thought was, was quite charming and, and worked well and there's a good scene involving you know Cookie Monster and Elmo <laughs> yeah I mean you said contrives to keep them apart uh, earlier on and I think contrives is the right word because uh, you know while I didn't mind uh, stretch of this film and, and, and laughed a lot at, at, at certain parts I had problems with the contrivances in this movie uh, characters come out of the woodwork um, you get introduced to someone in one scene very very briefly and then 50 minutes later they appear uh, as if you've been spending loads of time with them uh, and just so they can be an obstacle uh, to mm. Jason and Emily's happiness and we want them to be happy damn it yes but, they um, deserve to be happy but the things I liked about this movie I mean as you said it starts off really romantically starts off really strongly finishes really strongly yep. um, has a fantastic uh, Fan Morrison soundtrack and even when they don't get Fan the Man uh, original songs they get lovely cover versions so the soundtrack is, is gold performances are good um, Risa Fans is is good I thought I liked him yeah, he's, he's kind like of him. the bad guy in this mm. uh, coming between uh, Siegel and Blunt um, and uh, Alison Brie the lovely Alison Brie okay stop bring your thighs Chris <laughs> stop it <laughs> from Community she's in it as uh, Emily Blunt's sister rocking an amazing English accent and uh, rocking all kinds of other amazing things has Emily Steady. Blunt had a big hit yet? Uh, in my head she has well Devil Wears Prada was but that wasn't massive. her film it wasn't her was it? it just seems lead. bizarre to me because like, she's a terrific actress and everyone seems to love her but she seems to have so far been terrific in some mm. in, well terrific in some smaller films yes. and then terrific in some large but not terribly good films. I see what you mean, but I, I guess she's going to try and break that streak. I mean, obviously, you know, we talked about it in the podcast, but uh, on the interview with uh, with Emily, that you know, uh, Black Widow didn't quite happen for yeah, her. Yeah, which I think is a big shame. It is a big shame. Not that Scarlett um, Johansson is in any way bad in the role, no, but I think she would have been really interesting. As well. She would have been really interesting. And then uh, Captain America, I think the, 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 the inference seemed to be that she actually passed in Captain America. It wasn't the other way around. Um, so maybe she just thought that was a, 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 a one, char well, one mm. character in a film that wasn't going to go anywhere. Yeah. So maybe she turned it down. Um, but yeah, as she said also in the interview, she's in the new Tom Cruise sci-fi film, All You Need Is Kill. She's in Looper, which looks may terrific. not be a huge hit, but looks absolutely terrific, as you say. And uh, yeah, I think she's... she's she's hopefully slowly going to get the commercial side of things right, uh, right because as you say this five-year this five engagement didn't do well in the States mm. which is a surprise I, I think given how yeah, well yeah it seems like a did. sort of you know commercially friendly you know mass market kind of comedy mm. and it is a comedy it's not a sort of a rom-com it doesn't feel like a chick flick in any way I would say personally yeah. I think it does it, it is over long I mean, yes, I, I, I did, agree. Yeah, I, I did tweet at one point. It, it, it feels like it was sh shot in real time, but <laughs> but apart from that, you know, we gave it four stars, and 
you really 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 liked it mm. as you can probably tell I'm, I'm not quite as effusive but anyway well. but yeah do go and see it this week given a choice between it and Abraham Lincoln Firebrand Hunter it's an easy choice uh, other films to take note of this week include US number one box office hit Think Like a Man Think Like a Woman Helen come on spin-offs I want spin-offs now oh, you're pointing at me again that's passable enough yes with my finger I must point out this is the radio uh, and the Oren Pelly produced the Chernobyl Diaries which is no paranormal activity there's also Bruce Willis and Rebecca Hall and Layla Favourite from Stephen Frears which is sadly dreary and ineffective and that's it for this week's Empire Podcast uh, join us next week for more film related fun when we'll be talking about The Amazing Spider-Man Killer Joe and Friends with Kids and we'll be talking to representatives from some of those films Spider producers Avi Arad and Matt Tomac and some guy named John Hamm who apparently is in Friends with Kids but probably just a walk-on part I imagine uh, and that little lot should leave you salivating for the next seven days or so except there's just one more thing the Empire-centric episode of The Exclusives which is ITV2's reality show that strives to choose the next big thing in journalism screened this week and is now available on the ITV player so check that out if you fancy an hour worth of giggles it's pretty much like The Apprentice but with me and Keith Lemon so how's that for a hard sell? it's still you know, much better than Abraham Lincoln Fapper Hunter uh, but for now it's time to say goodbye to Phil goodbye goodbye to Ollie goodbye goodbye to Helen bye bye see you next week <laughs>